Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we go deep into mining news, hot topics, and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International and Mining International Executive, a leading global mining recruitment and headhunting agency. Hi, mining community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the mining podcast. And today's guest is uh, Belinda Lebet, who's the CEO and director of Lameco Metals. They're a Canadian junior exploration and development company with properties in Quebec. Um, they're focused on the development of two main projects in graphite and lithium. Um, Belinda has more than 15 years in senior management um, experience in mining and 20 years in the capital and investment markets. Um, and she's here today to tell us a little bit more of some of the exciting changes that the Miko Metals have just gone through recently um, and the vision of the company going forward. So that's welcome, Belinda, to the podcast. How are you doing, Belinda? I'm doing great, Rob. It's great to be here. As you know, I've been an avid listener of your podcast, so uh, great to be here. Yeah, and I appreciate your uh, appreciate you coming onto this podcast. And and as you said, I like I would like listeners of of this uh, of this podcast if they if they really want to come on and promote their company or promote their project, or even if they're um, I suppose experienced in a particular sector or discipline. Um, if they've got some content that they want to put out there, and because they've been listening to podcasts, and I welcome our listeners to uh, to uh, contact me, and um, yeah, if you want to come on onto the hot seat like you have, um, <laughs> I, I welcome all, any of my listeners to do that. So, um, I wondered if you can just give us a little bit about your your background, your career, um, to sort of present day, and then um, we can go into uh, more detailed questions around around the company. Yeah, let, let's do that. Um, my background um, ha- is very interesting in that everything I have done in the past has really led me to this new situation with Lamico. And um, so pro- just prior to this, I was the chief uh, de- corporate development officer at Mandalay Resources, which is a producer of gold and antimony around, around the world. And I have been with them or had been with them for almost 10 years. So I was their longest serving executive and really touched on all areas of operations and really learning all the ins and outs of working in a global mining environment. And prior to that, I ran my own business and I consider myself to be an entrepreneur at heart. So it was really time when um, I was seeing that things needed to change for me at Mandalay to figure out what is that next thing going to be where I can make a difference. And really, that entrepreneurial spirit came back to me. And uh, prior to Mandalay, I was running my own business, consulting to mining and extractive companies all over the world. In all kinds of commodities, including uh, gold, silver, iron ore, coal, uh, uranium even, and oil and gas. So I was touching on both mining and energy space, which really has impacted my perspective on critical minerals. And what's interesting leading up to, uh, you know, the, the environment that we're in and looking at sustainability from a different lens Uh, My first job was the supervisor of environmental affairs for Canadian Pacific hotels. And so in that job, I was able to work with every single hotel. There are about 26 at the time. 
and I was running their their office to ensure that every hotel could be a responsible partner with the community. And they were really, um, you know, a landmark in the industry to develop an environmental program, a green plan for the hotel company. And when you look at that work that I was doing in the 90s and coming to today, it has all come together. And I say that because uh, things have changed so dramatically. I consider the critical minerals business to be um, very different, a different sector. And you need to be uh, an environmental steward and you need to be an entrepreneur and understand that there's a lot of R&D involved, a lot of learning involved. And yet you are, you know, in an industry where you are mining and you're you're excavating. And so creating value with those three areas is really taking all of my history and background and putting it into play in this new opportunity. So moving on to obviously Lamico Metals, how did you sort of bring the new team and board uh, together? That, that's an excellent question. And what I think is, is and I'll talk a little bit about uh, the background of, of this business calling it the critical minerals, which is really about an energy transition. So what I had done was to look at things a little differently and say, where do we need to be five years from now as a country? And what what kind of an enterprise or company will be successful, will have been successful five years from now? What does that look like? And so that vision to say we need to be a meaningful contributor, we need to create jobs here, we need to take our supply chain, which has initially, which has essentially been outsourced to China and the African continent, because the critical minerals, whether it's graphite, which is what we have, or the rare earths or cobalt are over 80%, up to even 90% processed in China and originated outside of this country, yet we are endowed with those resources here. So so the vision was really important, was to say there's a geopolitical change that's happening, and uh, a company that's going to be successful needs to represent the interests of its stakeholders. So I started to look at the provinces and, and figure out that Quebec really had a lot going for it in terms of its resource endowment, the political will to support companies in that province. And when I realized that uh, that's where I want to be, and it's also where I grew up, so the French language and going back home, so to speak, was really key. It was taking that vision and talking to a couple of people about it and saying, how do we put this together? So in fact, we had a team, uh, Gordana Slepchuk as chief operating officer and Vince uh, Osborne as CFO. We came together as a group to study this space before we approached Lamico. And then it was a meeting of the minds. So we talked with Paul Gill. He's, you know, at the time had my role CEO <clears throat> and realized that he needed to shift the, the focus to Eastern Canada into Quebec because that's where the project was going to grow. And you need a full-time management team. So it was really a question of saying, do you believe in a vision of a scaled up, meaningful company in Canada that's going to produce the minerals 
and also have them manufactured and processed here in Canada? And if so, we need a management team with operations experience because we want to carry the projects through from development to operations, not simply sell them. And we need to have, as you say, a board that reflects this vision, the strategic growth and diversity through and through, because that's just uh, important to me personally. And that's that's what Canada is. It has to reflect uh, the stakeholders and the communities in which it operates. So once we um, had a discussion around what that looks like, it took some time to organize and we created a process to bring us in where we were appointed as management in October. So recently, and a new board started December 26th. And here we are today, uh, very, very encouraged by what we're seeing in critical minerals and also um, to develop to develop this company and move the La Loutre Graphite project forward from its uh, PEA stage. So preliminary economic assessment through the various studies needed to get to the pre-feasibility stage, as well as grow by acquisition and bring in new investors. Yeah, it's certainly different how you've put that together and how you've brought brought that team together. And obviously, um, it's probably because of your entrepreneur background. So what is your sort of new vision for the company and how do you believe that you're different? Let's say that, and I heard this on the podcast yesterday as well, when uh, Mark was speaking, um, this is a people first company. And what I mean by that is that through and through, we need to understand that to develop the critical minerals space, to create the energy transition that we all aspire to have in our country, we have to get better at working with people in their communities to appreciate what we have and create a project that they're proud of. So being a people first company means that we're going to work the projects that we have and the deposits that we have. This is not about finding graphite in Madagascar, for example, which is possible and which other people may do. However, the vision here is to develop a project that we can be proud of within our team, within our communities, and within our country to supply ourselves with the critical minerals we need to develop the battery supply chain here. So that would be the first point of differentiation is a a focus on engagement. And that's also why we have a... Our board is also majority female, so that's quite different from any other critical minerals company or mining company in Canada. And I wanted to bring in that different voice. And every one of the directors has said to me at a different point, we need to be different and change how we do things. So having that individual perspective from the director saying they're ready to be different was really important to me and allows us to try all kinds of different collaborations and partnerships that we may want to do as we grow the project. Um, I think another part is engaging with First Nations and one woman who I've known for over a decade. She's on our board, Lee Arden Lewis, and we've had many conversations and we're starting slowly to engage with First Nations from the perspective of listening as opposed to consulting. And I think that's something that has been, dare I say it, a failure point in the mining industry in the past to assume that consulting was where you start. 
It's actually listening. It's actually engaging. And that is uh, what we're doing. So without an agenda, getting to know the different communities and, and taking the time to do that properly, while we also have our internal priorities to move our project forward. So it's, it's a very interesting um, approach. I find that we, um, we are decidedly not like a mining company because we can look at the circular economy. We can look at um, recycling and secondary sources of critical minerals. We can look at processing partnerships and collaborations are key to developing a project in Canada. And all of those things um, are will set us apart, I think, because we represent the stakeholders of the communities where we want to operate. Um, obviously, you mentioned that there's obviously a lot of differences from you to maybe other mining companies. I just wonder if there was any other differences. And um, obviously, you clearly brought a lot of diversity. Um, how did that happen? How does that sort of change decision uh, making from sort of day to day? The the diversity, yeah, as I've mentioned, um, I think there there are not many board of directors that look like us with um, with the re- representation that we have for a company of our size. And it was about putting the right people together so that. Fi- Five years from now, we are creating that company that you want to know has been successful because they have taken everybody's point of view and brought it to the table. And in terms of how it changes decision making day to day, it's um, I would say that perhaps whereas before you're looking at getting things done and and getting to a decision quickly here we we actually need to be mindful that we're taking all perspectives into consideration so when we are in a meeting and we're talking about budgeting you know there's equal weight given to what we need to do with community engagement and and going above and beyond as well as the types of studies that we need to produce so for example we may be required to do an environmental baseline study that covers four seasons of work at our La Loutre Graphite project in Quebec, and that will lead us to pre-feasibility studies. However, if we want to be um, very cognizant of the, of the concerns and the observations of the community members, we may do water monitoring in areas outside of our concession so that we have a baseline of the the nearby lakes because we are in an area where there are a number of lakes around the concession. So it's it's about taking the time to do things right by remembering who we're accountable to. And who we're accountable to is ourselves, it's the community, it's the government, it's those that um, represent the environmental interests and the stewardship there, and it's the stakeholders. And we believe that we will generate a profit because we have done all of those things correctly. It is not the goal. It is the outcome of doing all those other things correctly and taking those perspectives into play when we meet day to day and how we do things. And that to me is the difference between um, diversity around the table and ESG reporting, which is disclosure. Yeah. And do you think, um, obviously, you mentioned a lot of accountability and a lot of accountability to a number of different stakeholders. Do you think companies 
miss out some of those accountabilities to certain stakeholders more so than others? I think that if they do, it may not necessarily be intentional. I mean, you know, especially in a company of our size and having worked with other junior mining companies, you're always resource constrained. And so the way that you're going to create value is by putting money, you know, traditionally speaking, into the ground and moving your resource from inferred to, which is what we have to do as well, moving your resource from an inferred category to measured and indicated, creating that robust um, pipeline of growth in your asset. So um, that has been the way that industry has traditionally functioned and created value. And what we're recognizing now that things have changed. It simply is not good enough to do only that anymore. So we need investors to come to the table with risk money earlier on to support companies like ours that are going to take the time to work with the community to move studies forward at the right pace. And it's intentional. It's it's really it's and it has to be more than just one person um, ticking a box around, okay, you've consulted according to what you need to do for permit. It actually requires a team of a team of people to take time out of their day and say, who do we need to talk to to keep things moving along? Where does the discourse need to occur? And understand you're going to run into problems, but if you have a respectful relationship there, you can work through them as opposed to transacting with people. And that to me is what a people first company does. It builds relationships and collaborations and partnerships. And that is very different in terms of leadership style that I think we have seen um, in, in the traditional mining industry to date. And it's changing. So it's good to see, but I think in critical minerals, it's uh, it's a completely different way to approach uh, the business. Yes, certainly. Um, I just wonder if you can tell us a little bit more about sort of uh, the graphite demand and supply um, and the out- outlook for Lamoco. Yeah, let me tell you um, about so Lamico. Uh, we have a project in. Um, in Quebec called La Loutre, it is graphite. And it's, as I said, it has a resource attached to it. And what I think is really interesting is if we go back and look at what graphite does, what it, where, what, it, what is its place in the um, energy transition? It is one of 31 critical minerals in Canada. It's been identified that way because it is considered uh, a, a national security priority to, to develop this particular mineral, both for use in technology and to um, ensure our energy transition to reduce our greenhouse gases by 50% by 2030. So it also sits on the critical minerals list in Europe, which has 35, the United States has 32. And it is currently um, supplied by Madagascar, Mozambique, and largely through China and India. So that is where the development and processing occurs. Right now, the market is more or less in balance. And so you're seeing 200,000 tons per year produced. The supply is about similar. And you're seeing some volatility in pricing because people are seeing the future 
but this is very much about the future. So let me explain that because what you're seeing in energy transition um, is a very slow uh, up to date growth in the penetration rate of electric vehicles and energy and transportation and food represent well over 80% of global greenhouse gas emissions, those three industries. So that's why we focus on electric vehicles and cars. But that penetration rate is still less than 5% in Canada. Of all vehicles on the road, passenger, less than 5% are electric. Industrial fleet, less than 1%. Yet, every industrial company in this country knows that they need to reduce their greenhouse gas emissions because they're going to be paying carbon taxes and because that is what their investors want. So the demand is starting, Not it's not there yet, but the recognizance that we have to go electric is starting to build. And what that means for graphite is this market stability that we're seeing where we can still take the graphite from um, and import it is acceptable. But with the demand escalating by 500 percent by 2040 is what they're saying, you're going to see that that market shortfall is going to go from 200,000 tons per year today to 2 million tons um, shortfall by the time we go into production. So I think we are perfectly positioned. We're about five years out from first production, that's when you're going to start to see the market imbalance show up in terms of demand outpacing the supply. And then slowly, hopefully, we can bring supply domestically back into the United States and Canada because the demand and the market shortfall benchmark projects it's going to be 8 million tons market shortfall by 2040. And why do I believe in that? I believe in that. And maybe the numbers are going to be a little bit different. You know, you, you, that it always ends up that way. But the fundamentals are this. It's that the penetration rate is so low now for electric vehicles. And there is, there's no way that we are going to go back to an oil petroleum-based economy. It's just not where things are going because the world has changed. We understand climate change now scientifically. And the, the will of uh, and the demand is moving that way. So graphite has a huge place to play. It is the largest component by weight of any automobile electric vehicle. And it's um, widely available in Canada. 70% of the projects being developed are in Canada. And I think we can develop a very um, strong supply chain here. So we are very well situated. I think we are not too late in the game. I think that there is still, as I said, the market dynamics are uh, going to cause a market imbalance in the next five years. Yeah. You um, have a view on geopolitical opportunities in Quebec um, for Canada. Um, how do you see this evolving? Well, I think Quebec, if you've seen the news lately, um, a lot of growth in terms of uh, creating a value-added manufacturing supply chain in Quebec, Tesla, um, Stromvolt, a number of others are coming in wanting to develop the anode, the battery manufacturing domestically. And I like to always think of Canada and the United States and Quebec as a, as a new energy block. I think it's a mistake to think that um, we need to necessarily be, be thinking 
locally, but I think that geopolitically, what makes sense is to look at our our assets from the perspective of a North American opportunity. And having said that, I'm we need to create um, value added, interesting, innovative jobs for the Generation Z, for my daughters that are that are growing up that want to see these types of businesses and opportunities. So I think it's very exciting. But let me walk back a little bit because I, I want to just mention um, that the critical minerals. Uh, you know, it seems to be slotted and we are talking mining, but it very much is about energy. And if you look, go back in time in the United States in the 1940s, after World War II, the United States had access to petroleum and was supplying about 60 percent of the global petroleum for the world from its own domestic resources. As that evolved, we moved through 1950s, 1960s to the 1970s. It started to realize that it needed access to oil from other places as it depleted as its own reserves. And then you had the seven sisters, seven petroleum companies operating in the Middle East. There was access to cheap oil, right? In that same time frame, there has always been access to cheap critical minerals for the same reason. It's somewhere over there and it hasn't been a priority. In 1975, 1970, there was an oil embargo. The oil prices surged. And that's when people started to realize maybe we need to look at alternative sources of energy. But solar, wind, we didn't really get there. What they actually did do was they looked abroad for foreign exploration and access to oil that way. And so um, that occurred. And then the United States created the Strategic Petroleum Reserve in 1975. Now, if we look at what is happening in the 1980s, when there were more conservation measures put in, the oil price went down again, things stabilized. But then we started to look again at alternative sources of, of energy. And it didn't really go anywhere because you could still get access to oil. Fast forward to 2016, you have the Paris Agreement, the very first one. And what happened there was that you, you had this understanding now that climate change and global warming was, was real. And it was as a result of coal and petroleum use since, since the development of, that, of those assets in the early 1900s, right? The Industrial Revolution. And it was in um, just a little bit after that that the United States then pivoted and said, okay, 2016, they, no, 2017, a year later, they developed the critical minerals list, which is a similar situation as to developing the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. It's basically saying, we need to get access to these minerals because all these minerals are going to are, are the source of energy for our future. It's not petroleum. It's cobalt, nickel, manganese, rare earths. It's all of those 31 elements that I referred to earlier. So when you look at what we're doing at Lamico and you look at companies in, in our sector, I would say that mining is a very small part of what we do. And I want to emphasize that because we are in the new energy business. We are supplying a stable and secure source of critical minerals. And to do that, you need scale. You need to be mindful of a community and social acceptability, or things are not going to change. And we have 10 years to change them. That's what the science says. 
different than before with, you know, um, the economic growth in the United States, there was no limit. There was only the notion or the understanding that they were depleting their petroleum reserves. Oh, we have to do something and get oil from somewhere else. Now it's, we've been depending on the critical minerals from abroad and we need to take that back in. And we only have this time frame really to do it where it's going to make a difference. So there's, um, there's a geopolitical argument. There's also a timeline here that I find to be very interesting. It creates compression, right? It creates excitement and it creates opportunities for us to change things faster than we did before. We, we don't have decades of time to figure out where we're going to get our resources from. We have the next five years. <laughs> you mentioned, um, obviously, the there's a difference between uh, sort of uh, critical minerals and the mining sector. Or mining, yeah. should I say? What are those? What are those differences in your your point of view from obviously being in in, in the actual industry? That, and I suppose not many people may not necessarily identify straight away those differences. Yeah, let me share with you how I think about it. Having worked, you know, with mining companies, I, I appreciate all the complexities of of developing a gold mine and taking it into production. However, if you're looking at critical minerals in Canada, for example, there are, you know, there are, there's one graphite mine that is going to go into construction now, but because we're in the energy transition space, we have to look at everything differently. We have to look at a decarbonized mine, meaning that whatever we do to build a plant, the, the, the equipment that we have on the mine site must be carbon neutral. So you're starting with a carte blanche situation, whereas the traditional mining industry, um, it's very hard to change because they have to get all of the ore out of the ground with the resources they have. And at the same time, they also need to reduce their energy intensity, right? So it's, it's different in that you're dealing with a mature industry and you're dealing with one here that is nascent, that not only can do things differently, but it is impossible to supply graphite for the electric vehicle transition while emitting greenhouse gases. You have to be neutral or even withdraw. So that's one difference. The second difference I would say is that very rarely will you hear a gold mining company or uh, precious metals talk about um, securing their supply chain benefits and investing into processing. Critical minerals, not so. Why? Because we know that to, to process uh, the graphite or the rare earths, simply to have it go into China to produce the anode and the battery will not help the automobile industry or the 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 solar panel industry, the energy transition, the renewable energy industry in Canada. So the thinking has to be around um, investing into the supply chain. And you will see that um, First Cobalt changed their name. They've gone into processing. Nouveau Monde is looking at it. <clears throat> and as well, um, Northern Graphite is, is processing with their their transaction that they announced recently and we as well are looking at that so it's processing it's also looking at the the secondary market so recycling of metals to extract potentially critical minerals 
is part of our value chain and business. So I'd say those three things are some key hard um, alternative or reasons why we're not mining. Mining is one small thing of what we do. Layer in all of the benefits of potentially doing blockchain work and securing parts of the deposits for the end user, the traceability of the resource that's now important. And finally, perhaps most interestingly, which I alluded to before with the demand curve is we are not a price taker. I do believe that with the traceability of our supply chain and the point of origin of the material and branding, and this, we will be able to, um, to generate a price premium from our product. And that makes it very exciting, right? Because now you can start thinking about consumer branding and uh, branding business to business, as opposed to simply differentiating yourself among your investor base because you're a price taker. Certainly, a lot of differences, but as you explained, as as you have sort of just explained just now, um, and it may be not obviously obvious to to a lot of people within the industry. Um, what is your sort of vision in uh, on engaging with the community and First Nations? My vision. Well, let me tell you what we've done already. Uh, so we we came on board as a new management team in in October. And as soon as we could, when the timing was right, and it was past the hunting season, because there is a, a, a vibrant hunting uh, season in, in the La Loutre area, we went down and we showed up, the three of us. And we met with various community members and we introduced ourselves. And what that means to me is uh, a couple of things. Um, you come really clear on what your values are and my and the values that well they're my values they're all the also the company's values it doesn't make sense to have them be different but it's to be respectful and to to believe in your own personal performance your ability to do things is to have integrity and and do the things that um, are hard to do when nobody's looking so having that courage of your convictions and showing up without an agenda or a presentation and to listen. And so that vision is to meet with people, meet with many different types of stakeholders, those that don't like mining, don't understand mining, feel like it's within their community and they have worries, they have comments, listen to all of that and find a path to work with them to create a modern project that does look like something you can have in your community. Why? Because it's quiet, because there's electric vehicles in the area. It is um, working on a production schedule that makes sense for the seasonality that we're in and for the particular traffic patterns that we have to work with. Um, it's, 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 it's inobtrusive and it's a good community partner. So engagement to me means having a set of values that allows you to have the conversation, then um, problem solving together, engaging together, and finding a path forward where you are step-by-step step on the, the process. And that requires um, some courage because you know, you're going to be fully transparent with all your studies and with what you're doing. But this is, this is what we need to do. And if we want to develop a vibrant critical minerals industry in Canada that includes extracting resources from the ground and the land, 
we need to do that. And we need to work with First Nations very early on, perhaps even thinking about um, collaborations and partnerships before we even know where it's going to go so that we have their interests in mind as we grow as a business. So that that is the vision that I share with Gordana and with Vince and that we um, we think about day to day and how we how we do things. As you're obviously uh, an entrepreneur, um, I wondered if there was any sort of, and I suppose not everyone within the mining industry has that sort of entrepreneurial flair, but so sort of any new or aspiring leaders, I just wondered if there was any, any advice that you could give them. I would say, um, you know, one of the things I've learned in being an entrepreneur and, and running my own business and that I've evolved into now and I think is the future of leadership, which is be open to all kinds of collaborations and partnerships. Um, a team of leaders is that, is that much stronger than a leader with a team. And I think you want to embrace that and take advice from people that you know and respect and constantly, constantly be learning. Uh, in your environment that you're in, don't be afraid of the problems that are in front of you because you are bigger than that. You can overcome those if you see yourself as a problem solver, as a way of life. And I think as an entrepreneur, you know, you, you have to be very comfortable in dealing with things that aren't perfect and that don't fit the way that you planned things to be. So that's the difference between strategy and a plan and execution and execution um, in front of the challenges and problems in front of you is when you separate the people that have, you know, um, just a plan versus those that have a vision and a purpose. And so you want to be that problem solver. So um, I think that's really key. And then I'd say the third part is, um, you know, don't give up on yourself and 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 keep going and understand that when things get hard that they are hard and they don't feel good and and you make your way through that mess but you're not going to learn by sitting you know on the sidelines watching the game you've got to be in the game and you've got to get dirty and messy and that's how that's how you will get to that next level of play and as a conclusion, um, I just wonder what the uh, outlook is for the Miko Metals, uh, say, over the next 12 to 18 months. I think this is a truly exciting time because we've come in to really work on the company on, on different levels. And so what we're going to be doing at the La Lutre project, we have a drilling program that we're starting in and around February. So we'll be letting our stakeholders know about um, the drilling and how that's coming along. That's really to increase the quality of the resource, meaning that we want to have a better understanding of the material that we have in our two pits. And so that also means moving the, the 40 million tons of inferred material into the measured and indicated category, which will increase the robustness and quality of the entire of the entire resource. So that's exciting. 
We're also working um, and going to work with the community on environmental baseline studies, bringing them along, um, understanding the water quality uh, in, the, in the lake systems that we are working within, as well as the baseline environmental studies within the concession, which we need to do to, to move forward to the pre-feasibility studies. And then we'll be doing um, a number of metallurgical studies to look at because when you have graphite, flake graphite has different purposes. Spherical, which is what is used for electric vehicles, is a high value use, but there are other uses. So we want to categorize our graphite so that we can determine what kind of customer base we are looking at. Um, in addition, we are interested in looking at other assets and opportunities to create scale in critical minerals. We really like graphite. As I told you, the fundamentals and the market um, shortfall are going to be significant. But we also like other areas. We have a lithium asset that is in northern Quebec that we're going to look at exploring with critical elements later in the year. And um, we are going to be out talking to the general public about why critical minerals is important to them and what a good development company looks like. So I'm really excited to get to know more people in this in in this business, as well as get the message out about what we're doing and working with the community members and First Nations. That's um, so it'll be a lot to talk about, I think. Yes, certainly. Um, Linda, really appreciate your time in uh, obviously taking the time to tell us um, about obviously the vision of the company. And it seems you're doing things differently, which I'll be um, certainly watching um closely from the sidelines watching how how things develop and um i'm sure our listeners would have taken some points away from from you explaining how how differently you've done things um and hopefully they can take some points away and maybe use it in their own businesses um if our audience wants to reach out to you and if they've got any questions how can they go about doing that and are you across any sort of social media platforms we are certainly active on social media, uh, our website, lamico.com, as well as my personal social media. You can find me on LinkedIn at Belinda Labatt. You can find me on Instagram there. I can get a little bit more uh, personal and share some, some photos and ideas and, and, and thoughts that come across my mind. So I'm on those three uh, sorry, LinkedIn and then Instagram. And you can also uh, email me at b.labat at lamico.com. Uh, we can include those in the, the show notes accompanying this anyway. Um, but I really wish you the, um, really wish you well in the future. Um, perhaps you can come on uh, later this year or next year again and give us an update on on how things are developing and obviously again how how you've been involved with all the different stakeholders because that'd be interesting how um, how that journey will will be and how, how you do, how you would um, sort of interact with those different groups as you've mentioned so yeah maybe come on to the podcast later this year or even next year I would love that thank you Rob yeah no worries um, and thank you for listening um, I pre appreciate you um, sharing and liking this if you're watching this on the YouTube if you can uh, share below um, like the episode so it goes out to all four full four corners of the universe or anywhere out in the universe so more people can have access to this uh, 
to this uh, podcast and especially this recording as well. Um, pre- appreciate your continued support. Um, this is our first episode of recording in 2022. So we've uh, obviously got many more, many more coming up. So appreciate you, um, your support and um, appreciate you can, again, keep sharing, sharing um, this podcast amongst friends, family, others in the industry. And um, yeah, maybe a, a point of discussion um, at break times or, or around the coffee machine. So um, yeah, like I said, appreciate your support. And until next time, happy mining. Thank you for listening. Remember to reach out to Rob via the show notes and be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Until next time, happy mining, helping each other to improve the mining industry. 